we have had a good time. I hope this series has helped you and blessed you, and it, it's, been, it's been fun for us to do and, and, uh, and really helped me personally. And, and for this last week of Emotional, we're going to talk about my favorite emoji. Everybody's got a favorite emoji that is, is first on your recent. You use it for everything. Real quick, why don't you just shout one out to me? What's your favorite emoji? Somebody tell me. Everybody's got a favorite, all right? Everybody's got a favorite. My favorite emoji is the eye roll. Love the eye. How many people love the eye roll emoji? Come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love the eye roll emoji. And I want to talk today about something that I've actually never talked about before. 15 years of, of speaking, and really probably 18 years of speaking, that I've never uh, spoke on, given a whole sermon to. And, you know, every preacher gets a little bit nervous when they're preaching on something that feels a little bit raw because you want to make sure that things aren't getting lost in translation. And I really hope that when it comes out of my mouth, it makes as much sense as it does in my head. You ever had that happen before, you know? And, and, but today is really going to kind of be a little more raw and a little more uh, unscripted. And so really just kind of hoping that that it, that it connects with you. It reminds me, just thinking about the, the kind of the nerves of all that, it reminds me about the, the teacher who was uh, talking to her kids in her, her Sunday school class and, and was hoping and trying to see if they understood the concept of, you know, what it takes to, to, go, to go to heaven. And so she asked the kids in the class, you know, she said, so if I, if I sold my car and had a big garage sale and, and I gave all the money to the church, would that get me into heaven? And these, you know, these five-year-old kids are, you know, they all, no, and she's kind of excited, like, oh, you know, they're, they're getting it, you know. She said, well, what if I, what if I clean the church every day, and, and I mowed the yard, and I kept everything neat, and, you know, really kind of made God happy, you know, taking care of the church, like, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids are like, no, and she's just smiling, thinking, I'm, I'm really making a difference in these kids' lives, you know, they're really, they're really getting it, and. He said, what if I was kind to animals and gave candy to all the children and, and loved my husband? You know, would that get me into heaven? And all the kids, you know, they, they know how this is going now together. Like, no. And she just can't hardly take it. She's just like, wow, I'm, 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 this is, they're really, they're really, they're really getting it. And so bursting with pride, she, she said, well, kids, how can I get to heaven? What would it take? And a little five-year-old boy in the back shouted out, you got to be dead. <laughs> so hopefully you get it today and it makes sense to you. I'm really hoping that God's going to help us. Uh, just so many thoughts and things happening in my heart about the topic. Specifically, I want to talk about today about cynicism. I want to talk about, about cynicism. The title of this week's message for our last week of emotional is, Don't You Roll Your Eyes at Me. How many parents have ever said that? Come on. Don't you roll your eyes at me. Come on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't you roll your eyes at me. So um, just thinking about cynicism and, and the cynical nature really want to try to figure out how to wrestle it to the ground because I believe that for so many of us in the room, we have a, a cynical nature to us. It's, 
I feel like it's more prevalent. Maybe this is what everybody says as they get older and they, they kind of inventory society. I feel like it's more prevalent in our society and our culture than ever before. Kind of that sarcasm, cynical nature. It's like a whole form of comedy now. And, and it's just, it's so easy to be cynical when it comes to life. It's so easy to be cynical when it comes to to faith, and, and I believe that for so many of us in the room that, that our cynical nature is keeping us from everything that God wants to do in our life. I believe, I want to say that again, I believe that, that for so many of us in the room, our cynical nature is keeping us from everything that God wants to do in, in our lives. I am a recovering cynic. Uh, I guess it would be good to say, hi, my name is Jason. And I am a recovering cynic of the worst kind. I, I've, never, I, I've never met and known anybody who is more cynical uh, than me really my whole life. Up until about 18 to 24 months ago, hard to really pinpoint exactly when it happened. Maybe it was my 30th birthday. That seems to be kind of life-changing for guys sometimes but really just spent my whole life uh, incredibly cynical and sarcastic. And like so many people who are cynical, I thought that my cynicism was valuable. I I thought that somehow the world needed me to be cynical. I grew up my whole life with my older brother who was a pleaser, who made good grades, everything was, he was optimistic. And I thought, you know, we can't have a whole world full of him. And so we need you know, we need people like me to be, to be cynical. I thought it was cute. I thought it was somehow profound, you know, that I, I kind of had this view of life. But something happened about 18 months ago for me or so. Not able to pinpoint it exactly, but I made up my mind that I want to spend or I didn't want to spend the rest of my life being the devil's advocate. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life being an advocate for the devil. I didn't want to spend the rest of my life being the friend that that no one wanted to share life with because I never encouraged, I never believed the best in people. I didn't want to be that friend. Nobody wants that friend. Nobody. And somehow cynical people, we can think that somehow like people like our cynicism, people like our different take, our view. They, they like, they, we think that they want us in, in their lives because of our cynicism. It's just not true. Nobody wants the friend that, that comes to you and instead of you believing in them and encouraging them, tells them why it won't work or why it's not a good idea. Nobody likes that. And I thought somehow that that was one of my positive attributes. And when it came to my relationship with God, had a very cynical relationship, had a relationship with God, no doubt about it, had a relationship with God, but was getting frustrated because at around 30 years old, loving God, spending, you know, having a relationship for 14 years or so, not feeling like I was seeing some of the extraordinary elements of a relationship with God not really experiencing what I felt like was all that God had for me because anytime there was an opportunity for me to get outside of what maybe I was comfortable with, I was cynical about that. So I wasn't experiencing the extra special, miraculous, unexplainable stuff. And I feel like so many of us in the room, 
find ourselves maybe at that place today. Now, the, the definition for cynicism, according to the dictionary, is an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest. An inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest. So if you bring a cynical view into your relationship with God, that's going to be a problem right off the bat because cynical people have an inclination to believe that people are motivated purely by self-interest. But God is mainly motivated by his interest in you. And so if you bring a cynical view into a relationship with God, it's not going to work. But I don't want us to, to focus on the dictionary definition of cynicism. Uh, I, I, I kind of made up my own definition of cynicism as someone who has been to the depths of the sea of cynicism and feels like I can talk about it. Uh, I made up my own definition. Here's the way I define cynicism. And cynicism is not just struggling with doubt. Cynicism is not just being negative or pessimistic sometimes. But at, at its core, when you really go deep into our hearts, I believe that cynicism is a disdain for hope. I believe that cynicism is a disdain for hope. That cynicism is that part of our hearts that when something hopeful, positive, optimistic, encouraging as possible in our lives, in a friend's life, in our relationship with God, we don't only doubt it, we have a disdain for it. That, that in other ways to put it would be that, that cynicism is, is that part of us that says, yeah, right, when there's a possibility that something great could happen, be different, change, be possible. Like, like somebody in your life, a friend, or maybe yourself say, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. And you don't just doubt that they'll lose 30 pounds. You, it's not that you're unsure if they'll lose 30 pounds. It's like you have a disdain for them losing 30 pounds. Like, I'm going to lose 30 pounds. Yeah, right. Yeah, you're going to lose 30 pounds. That is cynicism. You, you know what? I, I'm going to get out of debt. It's not that you just doubt that they may get out of debt. It's that you have a disdain that somehow they would get out of debt. Like, yo, you're going you're gonna to get out of debt? <laughs> yeah, right. I roll. Hey, hey, listen. I know I've said this about 14 times, but I really think that this guy is the one. I really feel like that this is the one. I really feel like that, that I'm, I'm going to marry him. And it's not that you doubt if he's the one. It's that you genuinely have a disdain for him being the one. Yeah, yeah, right. This is the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. This is the one. Oh, I'm sure this is the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I roll, right? Some kind of growth in your faith. Hey, I'm going to be in church more. Hey, I'm going to start fasting. Hey, I'm going to pray more. Yeah, yeah, right. You're going to fast. Yeah. It's this disdain for hope, this, this deep-rooted disdain for hope. I, I'm in the middle right now. I'm always working on a project on me. I'm a fixer. I'm a troubleshooter. It's in my nature. Any Myers-Briggs people out there? I'm an ISTP, so I'm always troubleshooting. And so... I'm working right now on my long distance running, okay? I'm, I'm, I, I go through spurts where I, I run. I like to run. I also go through spurts where I get fat. And so I try to bring those two together <laughs> as much as possible. And, uh, and so I decided with some friends that, that we were in November, we're going to do a 10-miler. And then if I can figure out a way to survive the winter, then I'm going to do hopefully a mini, uh, you know, next year. Excited about that. Thank you. They were here first service. That's exciting. That's good. 
And so I started running, and I'm not really one to set a good pace. I just kind of jump in when I'm going to do something. And so I, you know, I started running three miles, and I started running five miles. And then on Fridays, because it's my day off, I try to just, like, set a record for myself or whatever. I've been doing this for probably six weeks now. I don't know, something like that. Been running 25, 30 miles a week, something like that. And, uh, and so this last Friday, I went out, and I decided I'm going to run at least five, and then we'll just see what happens. You know, because some, you, sometimes you set a goal and then you quit. So we're going to run at least five, and then we'll just see what happens. Try not to go by the house because you'll quit. So let's just run somewhere else, and let's just see what happens. So um, I ran eight miles. Thank you. Thank you. That's exciting. I'm, I can tell you're pumped. And um, it's a personal record for me. Farthest I've ever run. Never run eight miles before. Best record time. I've, well, I've never run eight miles, but as far as pace goes for long distance, nine and a half minute pace. Some can do worse, some can do better. But like I got home and I felt like a beast. I mean, I just ran eight miles. I didn't stop running for like an hour and 20 minutes. I'm, I, I, so I'm, I'm ready to like go to the Olympics. And, I'm, and so I text my, I text the, I got a group text with some friends of mine. Some of my best friends, I might add. These are my best friends. These will be people that like, like we, we're doing life together, Okay. They know that I'm running, and so I, I, I just text them a picture of my map, and I'm like, I just ran eight miles, hashtag boom, hashtag get some, hashtag what's up. I mean, I'm like, I am, I'm like, I'm, I take a selfie, I'm like, what? You know, I mean, I'm like, I am, I'm t- I am jacked up, y'all. I just set a personal record, and one of my best friends who is... Normally a very positive person in my life, an encourager in my life. What am I, just really good, but I don't know if he was having a bad day at work. I don't know what was going on, but he texted me back. First text I got, I got a group text, first text that comes back. You know what he said? He goes, good job, but you'll never last through October. You're going to burn out. Hope I'm wrong, but I rarely am. (laughs) He didn't put an eye roll, but I just... You ever read text and you personally interpret the tone? Like, I'm going to tell you how they typed it and what they meant. And so, like, I, I wanted to punch a mirror. I mean, I was, I was in the bathroom. I was getting ready to shower. I get, I get, you hear the phone like, ding. I'm like, what's my friend saying about my run? And I go pick up the phone. And I'm ready to, I'm ready to punch someone. I'm not a violent person. Have you ever just had the wind taken out of your sails when you were so excited about hope? I can do the 10 miles. I'm I'm scared of that many, but I'm going to tame that beast because I just did eight miles. And now my friend has a disdain for hope and he's eye rolling me and it, uh, it does something to you. It, It does something. It does something to you. Luckily, all my other friends jumped in and jumped on him and it was awesome, but um, nobody wants that person in their life. Nobody wants that friend. And my friend, he's awesome. He just, I don't know, he's had a bad day. But like, if that is the stance that you take in life, if that's the posture that you have in your relationships, if that's the posture that you have in your relationship with God, no one thinks it's cute. No one thinks it's beneficial. No one needs you to add that or, or, or to contribute that 
into life. But it's so hard for us, and I'm speaking from, you know, 30 years of experience here. It's so hard for us as cynical people to feel like it should be different because of how often we've been right. So the reason that cynical people struggle to not be cynical is because we're right about our cynical views so often. And so we say, well, yeah, I'm cynical because I'm right. And we think it's because we predicted correctly, like that somehow we have this ability to, to predict failure and how things are not going to work. But we're not right because we have the power to predict things. We're right because cynicism is a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're right because we keep saying it until it happens. You walk around in your life with this cynical view, like, I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to be happy. Five years later, guess what? You're not happy. You're like, I told you I'd never be happy. But it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I'm never going to find someone. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to have any money. I'm never going to be able to, 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 to have faith in God. I'm never, I'm never going to get clean from this addiction. It's never going to happen. I told you. I told you. And it's not that you predicted it. It's that you laid down the expectation and the ground for that to happen in your life. I love 2 Kings 7, the story in 2 Kings 6 and 7. There's a famine in the land, and um, it's bad. It's been happening for years, and people are eating some really, really weird stuff because there's no food to eat. And so Elisha shows up in, in chapter 7, verse 1, and he says, Listen to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord says. By this time tomorrow, in the markets of Samaria, five quarts of choice flour will cost only one piece of silver, and ten quarts of barley grain will cost only one piece of silver. So I want you to just put your, put your, kind of put yourself in the story. There's been a famine, and the prophet shows up, and he says, let me tell you what God said. Now, if you, I don't know where you are in your life, but if you've ever been in a famine, not literally because you haven't been in a famine, if you've ever been in a famine spiritually, and then all of a sudden out of this spiritual famine, someone is able to step up and said, let me give you a word from God, everything inside of us should say, yes, please, yes. But the officer assisting the king said to the man of God, that couldn't happen, I roll. That couldn't happen if the Lord opened the windows of heaven. So Elijah shows up, he's like, there's going to be so much food, the markets are going to be flooded, you're going to be able to buy. Dude, I rolls. he's like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Not because necessarily he doubts, but he has a disdain for hope. And Elijah replied, you will see it happen with your own eyes, but you won't be able to eat any of it. In other words, God is going to do it. But since you choose and refuse to not be a Debbie Downer and be so pessimistic about what God could do or what might happen in someone's life, you won't get to experience it. So because you just said it won't happen, guess what? It won't happen for you. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen for anybody else. And, and so you get bitter about what's happening for everybody else. And God says, it's going to happen. But because you say it won't happen, it won't happen for you. Here's another way to put it. As long as I keep my expectations low, God will meet them every time. As long as I keep my expectations low, God will usually meet them every time. And you say, well, Jason, I mean... I would have more faith, but 
this didn't happen. I told you so. Yeah, right. I roll. Cynicism. Whatever. You keep self-fulfilling the prophecy. You keep saying how it's going to be. Proverbs 18.21 says the tongue can bring death or life. That's a fact. That's not Jason. That's the Bible. The tongue can bring death or life. Then it says those who love to talk will reap the consequences, which we always interpret that verse as to be negative. Like you keep talking, 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 you're going to reap the consequences. And that is true. But what if the opposite was true too? It just says those who love to talk will reap the consequences. What if we love to talk encouragement? What if we love to talk positive? What if we love to talk hope? What if we love to talk belief? What if we could reap the consequences of nonstop hopeful talk? Non-stop positive talk, non-stop optimistic talk. What if we could reap the consequences of that? Now, I want you to excuse my language for just a second. But I believe that so many of us, we walk around damning everything in life, everything in our life, and then we wonder why everything seems to be damned. So, so you, you, know, you keep talking about your damn job. You keep talking about your damn husband. You keep talking about your damn kids. And then you wonder why everything in your life is damned. Because the tongue has the power of death and life. So if you keep damning it, guess what? It's going to be damned. And so we have the opportunity in life when... When a relationship could change, when something about ourselves could change, when something about our relationship with God could change, we have the opportunity to either receive that, accept that, believe that, throw our arms around that thing, or roll our eyes and say, yeah, right, let me tell you why that won't work. Let me tell you why that's a dumb idea. Let me tell you why that's stupid. That's never going to happen. You're right. You're absolutely right. Here's a question I pose to myself. Do I have enough courage to dare to believe God might want to do something bigger than something I'm comfortable with? Do I have enough courage to dare to believe God might want to do something bigger than something I'm comfortable with? Another way to say that was what could happen if I raised my expectations? That when I heard a sermon and I got a, a whiff of motivation, when I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking to my heart, when, when I felt like that my friends were trying to rally around me, what would happen if instead of saying like, well, I don't know, probably not, expectations low, what would happen if I said, yes, God, yes, friend, yes, spouse, I believe it. We can do it. We can do this thing. We can tame this beast. We can go after it. What would happen if I raised my expectations? So here's what I want to do for just a few moments I got left today. I told you it would be a little bit messy. Is I want to give you three challenges for every person in the room who is cynical, every person in the room who's struggling to, to believe that there could be more, could be better, and you don't know how you got to this place, but you have this disdain for hope or, or, or optimism that anything could be different, anything could change. I want to give you three statements. John chapter 2. Verses 18 through 20, there's, a, there's an interaction between a bunch of cynical people and Jesus. And in and, and John chapter 2, verse 18, it sa or 18 says, But the Jewish leaders demanded, 
What are you doing? Talking to Jesus. What are you doing? If God gave you the authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. So in other words, Jesus is walking around doing miracles. These guys keep eye-rolling Jesus. And, and then they come to him and they say, okay, you know what? If you want us to not be cynical about you, if you want us to believe in you, then I want you to prove it to me. I would be willing to bet that most of us in the room have had that type of moment. That there have been times in our life and moments in our lives where we want God to prove himself. We want God to show us. But when we get down in those deep, dark, nasty places of cynicism, we, we go to God with this chip on our shoulder like, yeah, I'll believe it when you show me. I'll believe it when you do it. I'll believe it when you, when you show me a sign. And so if you've ever found yourself there, maybe you find yourself there today. I want to ask you this question. What would it take? What would it take? If you're waiting on God to prove something to you, show you a sign, I want to ask you the question, what would it take? I mean, how, how, what kind of level of miracle are we talking about? Angel got to show up in your room at night? Are, are we talking about like a, a, somebody you don't know knowing all your business? Are we talking about a finger writing on the wall like Bible times? Like what would it take? Because so many times as cynical people, when it comes to our relationship with God, we think, well, if God would just ever prove it, then I would stop being this way. That's not true. Because look at what happens in verse 19. They say, if, okay, if, if you really are God's son, then show us a sign and prove it. In verse 19, Jesus said, okay, sure. And Jesus replied, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. He's talking about being dead, being raised to life. And look at verse 20. They go, what? What? Exclamation point. They exclaimed. It's taken 46 years to build this temple. And you can rebuild it in three days? Interpretation, I roll. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Hey, Jesus, give us a sign. Okay, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up. Yeah, right. I, I know you couldn't prove it. I just said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. Yeah, right. Here's my point. Is that so often for cynical people, we say, okay, well, if you'd prove it, if you'd show me, it wouldn't matter what God did. If an angel showed up in your room in the middle of the night, you'd say you were dreaming. Because you refuse to believe it. You've got a disdain for the hopeful fact that God may want to send an angel to your room. That wouldn't happen anyway. I ate too much pizza, whatever. Are you getting my point? If God did show up, you wouldn't even accept it. You'd roll your eyes and you'd say, yeah, right. Somebody told him to say that. Somebody told Jason what I was dealing with this week. And, and, and you, won't, you won't accept it anyway. And so you think, well, I wouldn't be cynical if God would, whatever. God has done so many things in your life. And what we want to do is we want to stand behind the line and we want to say, God, once you prove it, then I'll stop being cynical and I will do what needs to be done. God's like, that's not how I operate. If you will take a step of faith, I will show you just enough to give you confirmation to take another step. You say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. Prove yourself to me. Prove that it's real. Prove that it's true. Then I'll do something. God says, as long as you stand on that side of the line, you're not going to see it because you won't let your heart receive it. But if you'll take a step, 
if you'll take two steps and what you're going to find is over here, there's a little glimmer of hope and you go, wow, God really knows where I'm at. And then you'll go here and you go, what a random conversation I had with him, him and her. God may be trying to tell me something. Then you open your Bible on day four after step four and you're like, how crazy is it that I read that scripture today when I was thinking about that? And God's like, yeah, because I showed you that, 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 and that. I was just waiting on you to leave your cynicism behind and take one step so that you could experience a little bit of hope. A little bit of hope. So I want to give you three thoughts. I'm rambling. Here we go. Three, three questions, three challenges for everybody in the room. I'm, so, I'm just so passionate about this because I've lived 30 years, and I feel like I'm on the other side like, I still got the demons on my shoulders, don't get me wrong, but I feel like I'm on the other side and I'm looking at all of my friends who are so unhappy in life, but think that their cynicism is a positive attribute in their life. And so I just desperately want to grab, so I want to give you three challenges, here we go, three challenges to help us not be cynical. Okay, you ready? Here we go. Number one, if I want to stop being cynical, number one, I will choose to learn what I think I already know. I will choose to learn what I think I already know. Have you ever noticed cynical people think they're the smartest people in the world? I know. I know all about it. Anybody in here ever known somebody that knows everything? Let me see your hand if you know somebody that knows everything. I know. I, 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 I don't even know how my wife stayed married to me. I honestly don't. And, and it's just a saint of God. You want to stop being cynical? You got to choose to be teachable. And that means learn something that you think you already know. Cynical people believe they have an angle, an insight, something that allows them to always have a superior, realistic view of a situation that optimistic people can't see. And you got to decide, what do I think I already know? What do I think I already know about my spouse? What do I think I already know about my friend? What do I think I already know about my boss? What do I think I already know about me? What do I think I already know about God? What do I think I already know about the Holy Spirit? What do I think I already know about prayer? Because even though I think I already know, God, I'm willing to learn again if you'll let me learn again. I'm not going to roll my eyes at the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to roll my eyes at my friend who's trying to change their life. I'm not going to roll my eyes at the next 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm not going to roll my eyes when the pastor talks about tithing because, because I'm willing to learn it again if you'll let me learn it again. And so I want to stop being cynical. So commitment number one, I will choose to learn what I think I already know. Number two, I want to stop being cynical. Number two, I will choose to believe what God has already said is true. I will choose to believe what God has already said is true. Did you know that the Bible is filled with promises about your life. You can go to the Christian bookstore and you can buy books that thick right there. Just filled with promises about your life. Filled with promises about your kid's life. Filled with promises about your marriage. Filled with promises about your faith. You can read them, but, but, but when you open the book of promises or open the Bible and read promises, you have two choices. You can either believe it and find hope in it or you can be cynical about it. So, so you open up Luke 18, 27, where Jesus said the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. When you read that, do you go, yes, God, things that are impossible are possible with you. I believe that. Or do you go, yeah, that's impossible. I mean, yeah, for them, but not, you don't know my situation. I roll, yeah, right, that's impossible. When you read a promise from God, 
do you choose to believe what God has already said is true? Philippians 4.19, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Do you believe that because he already said it was true? Or do you hear that promise and you roll your eyes and you say, well, I'm broke. Yeah, right. That's stupid. That, yeah, whatever. Proverbs 22.6, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Some of you are like, I roll. I've got a 28-year-old. They don't want nothing to do with Jesus. Do you believe that it's true? Do you hear that promise and you say, God, I desperately grab onto that promise. God, I desperately want to believe that my children will love you with all of their hearts. And I don't know where they are right now. I don't know why they're being so stupid right now. But God, you said in your word that if I would direct them onto the right path, and I made a lot of dumb mistakes, God, but I directed them on that right path. And God, you said you would, I believe that. I thank you, God, that you're going to bring, at some point, you are bringing those children back onto the right path. God, thank you for that. Is that your posture when you read Proverbs 22, 6? Or is your posture like, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, and 8. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you hear that? And you go, yes, God. I want that. I believe that. I accept that. Or do you, you hear that and you go, oh, yeah, well, the preacher's about to talk about giving money again. Yeah, right. This is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. You guys know I'm not afraid to talk about money because I believe it. But this is a whole nother sermon for a whole nother time. But for so many of you in the room, you are cynical about the idea of giving or tithing and God blessing. And because of that, you're not a cheerful giver. Some of you, you're just not a giver. But some of you, you are a cynical giver. And the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. And so you put your money in the box with an eye roll. Well, let's see what you do with this, God. Let, let, let's see. I could have bought groceries with that, but okay, there you go. What you going to do with that, God? And 2 Corinthians 9 says God loves a cheerful giver. You're supposed to be strutting to the box. Like, boom, putting that money in there. Here we go, God. What you going to do in my life? I, God, I believe that you bless me abundantly in every good way, and every good work. I, I just receive that. I, I accept that. All things at all times, God. Come on, God. I believe that. God says, put the money in the box that way. And see if that self-fulfilling prophecy does not come true in your life. It's not magic. It's not hocus pocus. It's that you're laying this ground of expectation in your life. It's another sermon for another time. All right, here we go. Number three. So number one is I will choose to learn what I think I already know. Number two is I will choose to believe what God has already said is true. Number three, this is huge. This is so big for us cynics in the room. It probably will take counseling to fix it. I'm just being honest with you. Lots of counseling right here. Number three. I will choose to celebrate big for others what seems like small things to me. This is so huge, cynics. Come on. Nothing's a, nothing that happens in anybody else's life is a big deal to us. Hey, great job. You ran eight miles. You'll burn out by October. <laughs> Bro, I am high-fiving neighbors right now. I need you to be excited for me. I struggle with this sometimes, like when I see moms post stuff on Facebook, like, you know, 
you know, my daughter just, you know, didn't poop in her diaper tonight, you know, didn't poop in her underwear. I'm just like, did you have to post that? Like, eye roll, you know. But my, that mom is posting that like, oh, my gosh, let me tell you that. And so I have a choice. I can either be a cynical eye roll, yeah, right, who cares, why are you posting that stuff? Which some of y'all need to stop posting stuff. But anyway, or, or I can give a little virtual high five like, you go, mama. I know how hard it is to get the diapers off the babies. I, you go. Do it. You're awesome. Did you, you're an incredible mom. Who would you rather have in your life? Who would you rather have in your life? You want somebody in your life that makes your big things seem big to them? Or do you want people in your life that your big things seem like small things to them? I know what I want in my life. You know, probably in some of my deepest, darkest cynicism, Andrea said to me one day, she just speaks for God sometimes. And she said to me, she said, Jason, I want you to name like the three or four, don't count your dad, I want you to name like the two or three most important people in your life. And I just shot off three names. Everybody knows who they are and, and you know, my life. And she said, do you know what all three of them have in common? I said, what? She said, every one of them are an encourager. The reason you love them is because they're an encourager and you don't do that for anybody else in your life. And I'm like, thank you, Lord. That was a big day for me. Okay, I want to be that for somebody else. Because these people have made such a difference in my life. So every time somebody comes to me, oh, yeah, so I've fasted for 21 days. Well, you fasted lunch. I roll. Hey, good job. You skipped lunch. No. Hey, high five. You just fasted a meal. So proud of you. Good job. Hey, you just prayed for five minutes. Hey, you just made it to church three weeks in a row. You've been clean for a week. You didn't get high this weekend. That's my boy. That's what I'm talking about. Because that's what people are in my life, and I want to be that for people's lives. So cynics, cynics are people that, like, whatever happens in your life is not a big deal. But what happens in my life is a big deal. Let me tell you why that's dumb. Let me tell you why that's stupid. Let me tell you why that will never work. And you add the most value to someone's life, not when you tell them why it won't work. You add the most value to somebody's life when you tell them how incredible they are, how much God loves them, what he wants to do. In, in their life. You are not adding value to your relationships, your faith, or society by being cynical. It helps no one. Zero helps no one. It adds no value at all. But for so many of us, and I say this with sincerity because I've been where you've been, I feel the lingering demons there. I don't think it's just a personality trait, I think it's bondage. And it becomes our identity. It becomes our identity. I'm the cynical guy. I'm the guy in the group that tells you why it won't work. I'm the guy who's the realist. I'm the guy who's the devil's advocate. It becomes our identity. And it squeezes every ounce of hope and faith and life out of our heart. And you become the person that no one wants to share good news with. You become the person that nobody wants to talk faith with. You become the person that nobody wants to do life with because you're exhausting. And they would rather find somebody who's going to celebrate their big thing like it's a big thing. And so if I want to stop being cynical, I'm going to choose to learn what I think I already know. I'm going to choose to believe what God has already said is true. And I will choose to celebrate big for others what seems like small things to me. And, and, And 
let me just end by saying this. I could talk for four more hours. We'll go get coffee sometime and talk about it. When you're trying to come out of a lifetime of cynicism, sarcasm, I am determined in my life, I am not going to ruin any more holy moments with a sarcastic, stupid joke. Like, I'm determined. I'm not going to do that. And I'm going to call out people who do it, just heads up. But if you have just a lifetime of cynicism, you don't just step out of that. You have to fake your way out of it until it becomes normal. Let me explain what I mean by that, okay? You're going to be thinking cynical thoughts for a really long time. Like, so I would say probably for me, 18 to 24 months, maybe I'm just not getting to the point where my first thought is not a cynical thought. You got to fake your way out of it. Like you got to encourage when you don't feel like encouraging. You got to brag when you don't feel like bragging. You got to hug. I told y'all at the beginning of last year, I'm going to be, or this year, I guess, I'm going to be a hugger. You know, I want, I'm going to set y'all up. You know, I wanted to hug you. So while I'm hugging you, I could encourage you. And some of y'all, I got to search deep for some encouragement. I love you, but like, I'm going to fake my way into believing God's going to do big things. I'm going to, I'm going to keep pushing myself into that because I'm not going to be cynical anymore. So you, you, you need your marriage to get better? Stop being cynical about it. Start believing the best. Start lifting up. Start encouraging. Start speaking life. Start speaking hope and see if it doesn't raise the water in the relationship. Your career, your, your marriage, your faith. Even if you feel silly, because that's really where it comes down to more than anything else, is you just feel silly being hopeful. When, 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 when cynicism has wrapped its chains around you, being hopeful feels silly. Risk the embarrassment and fake yourself into being positive and hopeful. And everyone in your life is going to be so freaked out, they're going to think you're diagnosed with a death, disease, illness. It's going to happen. From experience, I'm telling people, like, are you okay? Like, I just love you, man. I believe the best in you. God's got great plans for your life. Whoa, bro, like... You normally make fun of my shirt. Like, I don't know what's happening right now. It's going to feel weird for like six weeks. And then you'll figure it out. You'll work it out. And you'll start, you'll start feeling the new normal. All right, I've gone way over my time. i got to pray. But I just, my, my honest desire for you so desperately. Like, I feel like so many of us are drowning in cynicism. And I just want to, like, jump in the water. Like, I just want to grab as many as I can, like, get out of it. Because God has incredible plans for your life. He wants to do incredible things for you. And the relationships in your life and in your faith. But as long as you keep rolling your eyes about the possibility of hope, it'll never change. It'll never change. All right? Let's pray.